welcome to episode 76 of Running Matters. My name's Matt North. I'm not joined by my co-host or Hadfield today. He's got daughter duties, uh, but he's here in spirit with lots of questions that we'll get to shortly. Our special guest today is Melinda Gainsford-Taylor. Thanks for giving up your time today, Mel. My pleasure. Lovely to be here, Matt. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank our partners, Go Energy, Renella, Sydney Brewery, Guy Me Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude, T8 Run, Precision Hydration and Fractal Performance Headwear. So Mel, you're the three-time Olympian and the current Australian record holder in the 200. You also held the Australian record in the 100 for 20 years until it recently was broken by Melissa Breen. Mm -hmm. uh, you also share in the 4x1 and 4x4 relay records. That's a pretty impressive resume. Uh, do you look back on that? Is that... Is that something that you, you still pinch yourself about? Yeah, look, I have to be probably now that, I mean, at the time you sort of go through the process and, you know, obviously you're running and you're training hard and you set yourself goals, but I think you get to appreciate it um, a, lot, a lot later on in your career. And I think now because I'm coaching kids now, um, I have a lot more appreciation and, you know, sometimes you can just sort of tell them that, you know, or, or they find out that you've got these records and, you know, they can sort of think, oh, yeah, so you're all right then Mel you know you're okay then do you know what you're talking about so um but also too I think for my family so yeah it's something I'm proud of definitely that's good in 2017 you were awarded a member of the Order of Australia uh, for mm. significant service to athletics yeah. uh, and as a role model for young athletes so so what what is your proudest achievement well, that would definitely be one of them because um, that was really special. I think it was lovely to get it when, you know, I finished my career and, you know, I've been involved now coaching for about 16 years. Um, so I found that a really very special moment. Um, the other two is winning a world championship, world indoor championships, because you dream of um, being uh, an athlete who gets to be on the podium, listening to the national anthem and being a world champion. So winning the World Indoor Championships, that was in 95. That was pretty special. But I have to say my biggest achievement is probably having my kids <laughs> because I actually tell them that. I guess probably the, the best thing that we've ever done is, you know, having our two beautiful children. So, um, you know, you do all the sporting side of things and, and those achievements. But, yeah, um, I think having a family is really, really important. So, uh, yeah, so, to, you know, to have a lovely family, my husband and two kids, that's probably the best thing ever. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, you also, um, you, you train your daughter. How's the coaching going? Look, I'm loving the coaching. It was interesting because, you know, when I was retiring, people asked me, would I become a coach? And at that time, I had really no desire to. I think mainly because I've been running since I was eight years old. I'd competed at a national level for, I think, about 14 years. I um, mean, international level, sorry. And um I just, I think I got to the end of it. I just needed a bit of a break. And then I had our son, Nicholas, and people were trying to encourage me to get into coaching um, to help a few friends. And then it's just really gone from there. So I just love coaching kids. It's, um, I find it really rewarding. And I always say to parents, because, you know, my children are quite sporty as well. And you'd see other kids on a soccer field or on netball court you know, just not having the right technique or not being, you know, up on the balls of their feet. Um, so I thought, you know, we need to teach kids how to run properly because we teach them how to swim because it's a form of survival, but we don't actually teach them how to run properly. So 
that's probably the main reason why I started coaching. And yeah, I do clinics now all around country, New South Wales. They call them LGT, Explosive Speed Clinics. And I just find the whole thing very, very rewarding. I love it. How many people have you got in your squad? Well, it's interesting, my squad, because I, I coach four nights a week and I've got sessions from four to five, which are all primary school kids. So they're generally only coming once a week. So you can, it just depends on the term and what other sports they have. So there could be, I don't know, 10 in a group. There could be five. There could be 15. You know, getting into schools, it can be even bigger. Um, but in, in our squad, like which is my teenage squad, there would probably be about 18 kids, but there's two coaches. I've got a, another coach working with me um, called Katie Edwards, who she was doing eights and fours, but she's probably taken over more the twos and fours and I'm doing the one and two runners. So um, yeah, we share that. And they're generally coming twice a week, those kids. They either come on Monday or Wednesday or those who can't make it because of other sports come Monday or Thursday. Yeah, so it's fun. So you're pretty busy with four or five nights a week. Yeah. And then and you've, got, you've got your other business as well? Yeah, so I do. I, I also coach at Kimball Ladies College here in Sydney. Um, I'm the head sprints coach there. I'm also working in another school at Northern Beaches Christian School. That can go to five mornings, like including Pimble five mornings a week. Um, yeah, so I'm, I mean, obviously with COVID, it's been very challenging with so many competitions being cancelled. So that's obviously reduced my work to a certain degree. Um, and then I do other things like public speaking or MC work, things like that, of course, which has been completely put on hold um, as well. So, um, yeah, but it's good. I really love it. It's a really nice mix and... Um, yeah, and I really enjoy it and I do a tiny bit of jogging myself. So it's good fun. I love it. What, what sort of uh, jogging are we doing? Well, it's funny. When I um, finally got back running, I went to what we call the dark side. I went to your side, like more distance running. Um, I, so I run a marathon. I run three half marathons. I've done a lot of work with Can too, um, which I've really enjoyed. I've done my marathons and half marathons with them, which is a great way because you end up raising money for cancer research. So, um, yeah, so I've been enjoying that. So, um, just it's very, very slow though. <laughs> it's yeah. really slow. But I talk with my, um, I have girlfriends that I do it with and we talk the whole way. So, can you imagine how slow it is? Yeah. <laughs> sensible. <laughs> it's sensible. And then we have coffee. <laughs> that's, that's a way to do it, definitely. Exactly. And so how's your daughter going? Because Gabby was the fastest 10-year-old in the country, over 100 and 200. Um, you know, she's still at that level? Well, she, yes, she is. She's, you know, she's loving her running, which is probably the best thing. Um, when she was 10, um, yeah, she ran so well. I was, you know, really proud of her. But I think the thing is when you're 10 years old and win nationals, you know, it's hard trying to maintain that. And then over the years, everyone's sort of growing. She hasn't. Now she's starting to grow again. And I was really proud of her last year. She came second at all schools in the under 16s and she was younger, the younger age group in the 100 and she got, I think it was bronze in the 200. So, um, so it was good and she won state earlier this year. So, you know, she, yeah, she's, you know, she's doing really well, but she also loves netball as well, which is really, you know, which is great. So she plays a lot with netball, she runs. So that all keeps her really busy. So hopefully she'll just enjoy it. And I am coaching her, um, which, you know, she's great in the fact she always listens, she listens to me and, but, um, you know, so I have to, for me, I have, it's a bit challenging because I've got to put my mum hat on and, and 
my coach hat on at times. So I'm probably harder on her than I my other athletes, probably, she would say. So You're a brave lady. Not not many people would. I know. Well, we've got a good group and they have fun. That's what I want. I want all my group to have fun, enjoy. They come, they put music on, you know, they muck around, they talk and but then when they train, they train and they, you know, they do a great job. So it's important. Is that what you've taken away from the different coaches that you have, that you've had over the years, that there's a time to enjoy your training and then there's a time to switch on? Yeah, look, it's interesting. I've had the same coach since I was eight years old. Her name was Jackie Burns, which is um, something I'm really proud of because we were together for 23 years and we went from little athletics all the way through to the three Olympics together, which I'm pretty, you know, it's pretty special. But in saying that I have seen other groups and I would never like to be a, uh, an athlete one-on-one training. I, I much prefer a group and we, and we made it very social, um, but we always used to work hard. And I think that's key. You know, I, I, that's how I think, you know, I try and encourage that with my athletes to, to come in groups rather than one-on-ones. I just think it's so much better. Definitely. What about your son, Nicholas? Is, is he training? Um, he, he's actually nearly turning 18, which I cannot believe my little boys and man. Um, he, he actually is really quick, but he's not interested in track and field. He, he plays soccer and he's played rugby union. Um, and he's actually quite a good cricketer. Um, but yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's pretty speedy you, yeah. you can on the field, but no, he doesn't really, he's not interested in running. Yeah. You might take it up a bit later. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Mm. So ha- having been to three Olympics, what do you put your longevity down to? Um, I think just the pure enjoyment of it, um, that I just, I just love the sport. And, you know, as people say, you know, four years is a long time, but, you know, as an athlete, you've always got your short-term goals and your long-term goals. And, you know, every year you'd sort of come home from major championships and you think of the national championships here, here in Australia and then you think, okay, I've got to qualify for a Commonwealth or... Then I've got to come, you know, for world champs. So I think that um, just making sure I, I kept loving the sport and having really positive people around me made a really big difference with it because there, there were some really challenging times. You know, injuries is very big for any athlete. And there was, you know, times like out of Sydney Olympics, I, you know, Commonwealth Games, I had a knee injury and then it took me 18 months to get back. So I really enjoyed Sydney Olympics because... There was one stage I wasn't going to even be able to run again at that speed. So it was a big enjoyment. So I just think the pure love of it kept me going. Um, I might just jump to, to one of Paul's questions. He, he asked that if the third Olympics wasn't in Sydney, would you have kept going? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I'm pretty sure I would have because I was only 12 months out. But in saying that, I think it was a massive, um, uh, what's the word, like carrot for me or it was like something that probably drove me even more so, you know, because there were some really tough times coming out of it thinking, oh my gosh, my third Olympics, a home Olympics in Sydney, you know, it it really was what motivated me massively. And also as a whole, as a country, everyone was behind it. Everyone was encouraging it. There was a lot of media and track and field because of it. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see. I'd, I'd always try to go to as many as I possibly could, obviously, but um, it, was, it probably did really, really help to motivate in those dark times to keep going, for sure. 
and did it live up to your expectations? Oh, definitely in Sydney it did because um, I'd made World Championship finals, but I'd never made a Olympic final before. I, you know, just missed out. Oh, maybe two places I missed out in Atlanta, but I had a, another injury. I was running with a bulging disc in my back. So, um, yeah, I was really, really pleased. I was because, you know, with my runs or my runs, the consistency in my runs and, you know, I ran the best I had that season. So, um, yeah, I was really, really pleased with it. I would like to medal though, but <laughs> definitely what, would like to medal. <laughs> yeah. What's, um, what's, how does your training differ in your third Olympics as opposed to your first? Well, I think that you learn that less is more um, regarding the training because you've spent all those years building up your training load and, you know, I talk about putting in the training bank and over those years you get stronger and stronger. I mean, strength is the key in anything. And I think sometimes we try to challenge ourselves and probably take it that little bit too far and that's when you get hurt. So it's just sort of learning um, the experience along the way is a really big key. You learn things in training, with training programs, uh, with attitudes. Um, and then by the time you get to your last one, you just run smarter and it's just easier. You don't find it overwhelming. Like from the first Olympics to the last, it's like you're smiling, you're having fun, you're waving. You know, your first ones, you're petrified and you can't feel your legs. So there's so many aspects to it. There really is. And that's what I say to my young athletes when they have disappointments and there are knockbacks. I go, this is still all part of your training because it's, you know, it's the things you're going to need to learn from, your experience from, you know, get experience from it, um, learn how to deal with it, you know, use it to your advantage. Is as hard as it is at the time because everyone wants, one wants to be a superstar when they're young. It's actually building you for later on to being the best you can be. That's how, do you, how do you use it to your advantage? Um, that experience? Or, or the training. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, look, I, I assume that you, you're talking about setbacks or overcoming yeah. adversity. Yep. Yeah. Is, is that just experience? Like what? Oh, look, I think, I think it can be also innate in an athlete as well. Like there can be, you can have those sort of athletes that can be, that they get tough times and they just go, oh, I'm done, you know, I've had enough. Or you've got ones that are really mad about it and upset about it, but then go, okay, it's all right. What do I need to do to fix it? Um, and I think that's, an, and that can be through life experiences that happen in their family lives or whatever it may be, or it could just be in them. So um, I think you sort of learn over time that of the sort of person you are and how you deal with it. But that's what I always say is that when you do have those setbacks and comebacks, when you succeed, the feeling is just so rewarding. And sometimes that euphoria and that feeling is, I know it definitely is, is what keeps driving you to keep on doing what you're doing. Have, have you had a lot of talented athletes walk away? Uh, yeah, no, because I think because a lot of mine are babies and the, and the ones that have come to me at seven and eight now are sort of 18, 19. The two actually that have been with me the longest are still involved. So I love that. That's fantastic. They're still, you know, one's 20, one's just turned 20 as well. And they're still involved in the sport. So I love that. I just, yeah, I think when they usually walk, um, walk away when there's too much pressure on them and there's, yeah. you know, they're being driven too hard too early. I truly believe they just get sick of it. Yeah. So I try to make it fun and enjoyable. So and that's what I feel like my role is with athletes. It's just 
keeping them invested, keeping them enjoying it. So then when it does get to that 17, 18, they can decide whether they want to keep going or not. Yeah, they've got to have the drive, I guess. You, you, mentioned, yep. you mentioned that innate. Yeah. It is, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. So any advice uh, to the listeners to overcome injury or manage injuries? Yes. So what I would suggest is you've got to find someone like a medical practitioner that you really trust and believe in. Um, I think that is very, very key. Um, you know, in my time... You know, I've met people and, you know, sometimes it works with a certain person and it hasn't worked with the others. So I think that is really key for it. Always, um, there's always alternatives to training when it regarding injuries, you know, whether it's getting into the pool or getting on a bike. You know, for me, when I was injured, I was kayaking, you know, because it was a strength thing. I did get really built. I must have been up top. Um, but, you know, I did boxing. I did all sorts of things that, and I got worked with a gymnastics coach for stretching. So I did all sorts of things that could help me still. Um, so that when I finally got back on the track, I wasn't too unfit. The one thing that I that I learned is do not rush things too early because there's so many times I'm sure you've got your listeners that are sitting there going, I so know this is that. Oh no, I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to. I'll just try that rep, another rep, or I'll I'll just you know run that bit quicker, and then you go oh. You know, I'm so silly. I should have known better. So I think be very kind to yourself. And, um, and when your um, physios or chiros or whatever it may be, give your exercises, make sure you always do them. Yeah. You have to be just with all that because they know it, obviously, from a medical point of view, a lot more than we do. So that's what I say to my young athletes. If you want to improve, you've got to, like in an injury, you have to do all the exercises that you're given by, by your physio or chiro or whoever it may be. So with um, your sport, you don't necessarily have an off-season like, like many sports, but what, how do you, you know, what do you focus on when you're not tapering or recovering from an event? Is that when you're building strength? How does that work? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it gets very difficult for an athlete when they're, you know, when you are getting to a level where you're getting invited to meets like the Diamond League, or it's called the Golden League in my day. Um, so you've got this opportunity to go over and race overseas, which is great because you get to race against the best in the world. You get to travel the world and you get paid to do it as well, which is we know there's not a whole lot of money in athletics. So um, it's a great opportunity. But that is challenging. And I think even now, look, being a coach, you realise how challenging it is when it's regarding programming. Um, you know, when very early on we made a few mistakes where we came back and I'd, when I got back from overseas, we went way back in the conditioning phase where I was doing longer work and not keeping in touch with the speed work. And we learnt then that we can't do that because it takes so long sometimes to get that speed back. So, you know, and a lot of it too is you get into your heavier weights. Sometimes you had to race, training heavy, race, um, doing the conditioning work, like a lot of heavy weights. But by the time you come into your tapering stage, it was, it was much, much easier where you would just load off your, your, the amount of weight you're lifting and obviously cutting back on the metres and the training sessions that you're doing. So, um, you know, by the end, you sort of worked out what you could not and couldn't do, which is good. But sometimes that can be really challenging for an athlete and coach. When, uh, speaking of tapering, when you, when you were tapering, did you do very little of that week? Was it just a... Just oh, no, yeah, I still did some, like I wasn't one that had three or four days off or anything like that. I was sort of, 
the one I'd probably have the day off um, before before maybe two days out, I might just do a few starts. Um, I, you know, if you're traveling, sometimes when you've been traveling, like you want to just do a warm up, um, things like that. So we didn't do a whole lot of work. It was just like flying 30s or flying 40s and starts. And yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't massive. But I'm noticing it at Coach now, some athletes and people would find this, some people are better off resting and others are others that just need to keep moving so whether it's a mental thing physical thing but yeah it can um yeah you know, it's just it, every athlete's different well, yeah. what they want to do. but i felt that i and you know it was good because sometimes you'd sort of come in you go gee i'm feeling really good and then other times you go i wish i could feel better <laughs> but not very often it was good becky did a good job with my program then it was good that's yeah. good I wanted to ask you about competing overseas. How hard is it competing internationally as opposed to competing here? Look, it can be hard because, you know, you can be overseas for eight weeks of the year or, you know, see so away from, you know, your family or, you know, obviously my, my husband, then I didn't have children. Um, and just being over there that whole time can be really challenging in the fact that you're, you're in a foreign country you know, you don't necessarily know the language. You're there just training. It's not like you can go on sightsee, sightsee or anything. But in saying that, um, it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to meet people from all around the world and meet other athletes. And then, of course, your Australian athletes, the ones who were invited on the Diamond League, you got to see them. And, yeah, it was pretty special, you know. Yeah. And, like, I got to travel the world. I wouldn't – I'd love to be able to travel the world at the moment. I'm sure a lot of people would, but – you know, I think I took that for granted a fair bit to be going to these amazing places. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It's actually a really good time of your life, I have to admit, it's great. Cool. And what about um, competing indoors? Like that's, um, that's something that not many people get to do. How no. you, um, yeah, did you enjoy that? I actually, I loved it because the indoors suited me. So to explain to people listening is that it's like a velodrome. And the 200 metres was one lap when I was running it. And um, a lot of it is when you're, you know, it's like, at, you know, it's up on a, as I said, like, like a velodrome. And the weirdest thing is when you're actually um, doing high knees in that, you feel like you're going to actually fall over, topple over. And the, and the lanes are very thin. There's not much space in the lanes. But because I was a good bend runner in the 200, um, it actually really suited me because it's two bends. So, so it's one lap and it's two bends. So I really loved it. I, I tried a couple of 60s. I was never a good starter, so they weren't that great. But um, the 60s were good in the fact that you had to run straight into a wall. So that was pretty interesting. But um, yeah, so my first World Champs indoors, I got a silver, which I was pretty happy with. And the second one I went to World Champs, I got a gold. And then the third one, I got disqualified. <laughs> so I stepped on the line. So that was a bit unfortunate. But. Yeah, but generally yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you had a very lot of success there, obviously. Yeah, it's good fun. It was good. So another listener question. This one's from Jordan Anderson. Um, he said, in the current world where kids participate in multiple organised sports at the same time, how do you manage your youth athletes' overall load? Oh, my gosh, yes. Well, Matt, I think you and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago about this. Um, I, I do find it very difficult um, because I find, you know, obviously when a lot of my athletes are fast, they're generally good at a lot of sports. So whether I find touch, soccer, AFL, rugby, um, 
So I'm up against that. And I also feel as though myself as a track and field coach is probably more on top of their load work than their actual coaches in other sports. So from my experiences, they'll go to one of their sports and they'll get trained the house down, but they didn't ask them what did they do in a track session the night before. So it is very challenging and we have to be onto them. And one of the things we've even started now is everyone's got to write a diary, you know, be very clear, you know, when they come to us on a month, like, cause I'm, because of school and how things work, they come to us on a Monday and they've had a gala day, you know, all day on Sunday, we need to know that. So we can just do a warm up sort of yeah, easy tempo session, you know, maybe just look at it more to running out what they had or if it's too much, we'll say, I think you should go home. Um, but yeah, it is, it is really challenging, but I think communication is really key for it. Um, you know, and there's a, you know, I even have this situation of one of my athletes wanting to compete this weekend and has touch in the morning. And I just think that's way too much. So trying to see if the option is that, you know, maybe this week not doing touch and that will help then the competition for them later in the afternoon. So I think that just the communication has to be key with athlete and of course parents, because um, I'm dealing with kids and um, for them to be really clear on it. Because a lot of injuries happen, a lot too. And they come to us and something's sore and I go, well, you've been doing two hours of training with me a week. Why is it sore? And then you feel, hear everything else that, that they've been doing and they're not recovering from it. And, you know, they're doing 100, 100 hours of it. <laughs> not yeah. really, but a yeah. lot of hours on it. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's probably best thing I would do. Yeah, good advice there. So I've got a um, I've got another listener question. This one's from Ron Burgundy. Mm -hmm. So would, would you rather have me commentate the track and field events at the next Olympics with myself, my deep, lustful, scotch hardened voice, or my competitor, <laughs> Peter Hadfield, with his honey smooth, youthful delivery? I would like both of them to do it because I think it would be awesome to hear both of them. <laughs> we might be able to arrange something. <laughs> Maybe you can do one on this podcast. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> both of them doing it. I'd love it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I've got, I've got another listener question here. This one's from Menai Al and his uh, hashtag is full salad forever. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, and it's, it's a multiple choice question. It says, what would it take to convert you from a Manly CU Eagle supporter to a diehard Bunnies one? Now, it's a multiple choice question. So yes. number A is less teeth, B, more tats, C, an, a knack for getting in public arguments, D, a preference to drinking from a can rather than a glass, or E, all of the above. Oh gosh, so I've got to choose one of them. I won't be getting tats. What was the next, what was the A? <laughs> Less teeth. Less teeth, that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll go C. Was yeah. It yeah, I'll go C. You go C, excellent. <laughs> All right, good. So I should, uh, I should get to Paul's questions. He's been pac patiently waiting. Yes. So uh, I think this is a, a, a bit, um, you know, facetious, but he's saying, what's the longest time you've ever warmed up for? Because sprinters are known to, you know, take long warm-ups before getting into yeah, any action. I reckon I had 45 minute, 45 minute to an hour warm-up, yeah. at least. Hours, yeah. No, I had an hour's warm-up. And sometimes it felt like an hour and a half because you'd have to go into the call room. So you do your full warm-up for an hour, 
and then you'd end up, you know, you'd have to go to the core room 30 minutes, 40 minutes before, and then you'd be doing it. So you're probably warming up for about an hour and a half before you actually race. That's it's a lot. How much? That's, that's I great. Know. I know, because I was saying, we're talking about how many races I had at Sydney Olympics, and that was eight or nine, nine races, maybe 10. I'm trying to, no, I think it was nine with the relays. And, you know, I had to warm up for an hour or so for every race and then spend at least half an hour warm down. So, a bit tiring. That's right, you would be. I was, I was a bit fit then, not now. I'd need a food truck on the side, I think. <laughs> uh, next question, why do sprinters shave every hair off their body and then wear five kilograms of gold chain during the race? <laughs> That's an excellent question. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I actually had some jewelry, actually, but um, with the guys, yeah, some of them. I sometimes thought that I used to wear jewelry, but you're going, you're coming down to a thousandth of a second. It's probably not that smart at all, really. No, no. <laughs> there tends to be a fair bit of bling out there in the men's hundred too, doesn't it? Oh, there is. There's a lot of bling, yeah. and I think the shaving all happens because they want to take their shirts off at afterwards to show how much weight work they've been doing on their biceps. I yeah. think. <laughs> Definitely. Not the pecs. <laughs> yeah, top heavy, top heavy. <laughs> okay, next one. Should Justin Gatlin be allowed to race after two major strikes from WADA? No, no, definitely not. And the reason I say that is that no matter the, the thing that I'm under the impression with when you take drugs is that you can train harder. So he has reaped, even though he's had a ban, he's reaped all the benefits of that over the years. So... No, I don't believe so. Yeah, fair call. Um, Kathy Freeman was often described as your arch rival. Was there ever anything to this or was this all just a media beat up? Look, I would say a rival, yes, in the fact of the competitions we had against each other. And, you know, I'll always say is that I feel that I was very lucky to be running in an era where I had Kathy there to race week in and week out because... I truly believed it brought the best out of me as an athlete. And we would, and the good thing on both of us is that we always raced. Nobody was scared of racing each other. And I truly believe, I only speak on behalf of myself, but I truly believe it brought me out the best of me um, as an athlete. Because, you know, when you have those training sessions, you have someone you, you, know, you are really competitive with, they're the ones that get you through those training sessions when you're hurting like crazy. And I'm sure there'd be a lot of people listening who have it you know, in their own competitions, you know, that's what motivates you. So, yes, I would say we were arch rivals, but we also had a very um, healthy respect for each other as well. So it was yeah. really good. Yeah. And, and she made up part of those amazing teams that you're in. Yeah, absolutely. All yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah, we're just about all of them. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was good. Okay. High-profile athletes like US sprinter Marion Jones have passed countless drug tests during their career only to be implicated in court of long-term uh, drug use. Will the yeah. testing ever be sophisticated or current enough to catch those athletes red-handed? Well, I'd love to say yes, but I think that was a pure example of where um, the chemists are on top of it um, more so than, than the testers. And that's the biggest problem. I mean, the drug that she was caught, was on was called the clear and there was a reason for it because she didn't test positive to it. So unless 
you've got the money and resources to be able to test every single thing. I just sometimes think that um, that the chemists are a lot smarter, not, not smarter, but they're just on top of a lot more. So I just think it's going to be always very difficult because someone's going to be thinking of something or trialling something and, and unfortunately people are going to get away with it. But the one thing I would say, and I, you, you know, if, you, if this came up with my athletes is it comes to bite you, gets back to you one way or another in life. It will come back to bite you. And mm -hmm. I mean, look at Lance Armstrong, you know, at some stage in your life, um, you will be found out or you will, in one way or another, I think it'll bite you. So, yeah. Not worth it. No, definitely not worth it. Okay, last question. We seem to have some pretty talented young Aussie sprinters around at the moment. What's a missing piece of the puzzle to get someone like our previous Running Matters guest, Rowan Browning, to run mm -hmm. a sub-10 and be truly in the international mix? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I'm just, you know, we did the level three together a couple of weeks ago and I'm just doing the sprints and hurdles with Andrew Murphy, um, who coaches um, Rowan. And, and it was actually great to hear him because he believes that he even in his group has a couple of kids that can go under 10. Yeah. So, you know, it's just about that growing, the developing, getting stronger. We've got Jack Hale. We've, we have got this crop of men who I think can potentially do that. So, but that's obviously everything. Sprinting's all about power-based. And, you know, as time goes on, obviously the stronger you are. So let's just only, let's just hope that they can get that support. And, you know, let's be honest with you, you do need financial support. You need to be able to, you know, be there with the biomechanist. You need to be there for the, getting the right strength and conditioning. You need that for so many aspects to, you know, to help you with your medical. Um, so hopefully that support can continue and, and I think the key is to stay injury free, of course, that we might see someone go under. In, in the very near future. Yeah, in the very near future. Well, we're definitely, you know, by the looks of it, I mean, he's, he's run 10.06. I think Jack Hale's run 10.1 something, 10.11, just off the... So they're there. So it's just for them trying to get to that next stage and let's hope, hope and give them the resources they need to make that happen. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a nice way to finish up. I'm uh, really grateful for you giving up your time today. So thank you for joining us. My pleasure. I've loved it. It's been great. Now, if our listeners want to follow up or get in touch with you or just follow what you're doing, where, where, where can they find you? Uh, well, they can go to, I've got a website called melgt.com.au. So they can do that. Or I'm on Instagram, which is mel underscore Gainsford Taylor. If you want to make contact for sure, love to hear from them. Awesome. Well, that's it, Mel. Thank you very much for your time. And um, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. And uh, take care of yourself. My absolute pleasure, yes. We might catch up with one of those uh, Athletics New South Wales courses again, which would be great. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. Thanks, Mel. No worries. Take care. See ya. Yeah.